through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, through the book of Romans. Hey, Josh, can you figure out how to not make that flash <laughs> back and forth? Thank you. It's like my clock. And we are in, uh, we are going to be in verse one. We're going to be in one, one verse. This whole, this whole, uh, our whole time this morning, this is a verse that, one, again, one of those verses that you've got to be living it and breathing it, breathing it and living it. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And so it's important enough that we spend the rest of our time in this verse. Romans 12, verse 1. Anyone need a Bible, by the way? Just raise your hand. Anyone else need a Bible? We have a Bible over here. Over here, any other Bibles? Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore. That word beseech means beg. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's pray. Father, show us what that is, what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is not language that we grow up using. Our fifth grade teacher didn't, use language like this. I don't hear this language out on the street. Be a living sacrifice. And yet, Lord, this is, with this, with this verse, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You launch the rest of, of the book of Romans, the last five chapters. And Lord, I, I pray, I pray for these men and women, and Lord, certainly for me, any children in here as well, any, any infants who are in here, I pray this for them. I pray for any children in the womb I pray this for them. Oh God, that you would be glorified by us living and breathing this verse. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is about the who. The last f five chapters of the book of Romans is about the do. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans about the who, who God is, his indescribably 
magnificent power and holiness and wisdom and love. The end of Romans chapter 11 sums up the first 12 chapters. Verse 33 says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And then in verse 36 of chapter 11, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The who, who God is. That's what the first 11 chapters of Romans is all about. Chapters 12, where we begin today through 16, is about the do. What does a Christian do? But so important that you don't miss the order. There is a reason the who comes before the do. And, and the reason is this, you and I cannot possibly do the do until you know about the who. In chapters 12 through 16, we'll be in them for a while, probably another six months, there is a whole lot about do. A lot of do and also, although nowhere near as much, there's some what not to do. Twelve, chapters 12 through 16 of Romans is, it presents a picture. It, it paints a picture of a beautiful, a stunningly beautiful life that will bring attention to your God. Glory to God. A life of doing, of worshiping, of loving, of giving, of praying, of serving. You were created by God to do. Ephesians 2.10. You are his poem, workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. You were created by God to do, but please don't miss the point you'll never be able to do if you don't know about the who. In Romans chapters one and two, we learn that there is no way any human being ever, including any of you in this room or me, can escape the judgment and wrath of God. He's too holy. He's too just, he's perfectly just. No matter where you run, no matter how good you are, you face the judgment of God. Romans chapter two, verse eight, uh, says that all who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, that describes everyone in this room, faces indignation and wrath and eternal tribulation and anguish. No matter how hard you try to run from that, you're still gonna face it wherever you run. Romans chapters 1 and 2. Romans 3 verse 25 says though that God set forth his son. He brought his, his son to the world. He sent his son to the world, Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation. 
for us. What does that mean? Well, we spent a whole Sunday answering that question. You can go and listen to that sermon about that one verse. And so, uh, but but it, what it means is that a propitiation, it means that Jesus bore the full weight of God's indignation and wrath and punishment on the cross in your place, in my place. Romans 3, 4, and 5 discuss how what Jesus did can be credited to your account. To your life account, his perfect life and all that was paid for in his death credited to you and, and, it, and it is by simply placing your faith in him, receiving him in your life f- for the Lord as the Lord and Savior that he is. Freely. Doesn't cost anything. Because it cost him everything. And anything that we had wouldn't be tainted with our own selfish motives and other stuff. It wouldn't be good to offer him anyway. But it's free. Chapter 3, 4, and 5, all about that. As if that were not good enough, chapters 6 through 8 describe how after you are in Christ by faith, After you are in Christ by faith receiving him as Lord, as Savior, chapters 6, 7, and 8 says that describes how you have in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ, you've been set free from the enslaving power of sin, that sin, sin that just brings death into the life, into the relationship, into the finances, into the appetites of every human being. You've been set free, Romans 6, 7, and 8, from the power that makes that a master over you. And then Romans eight thirty two says this, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In Romans 9, 10, and 11, the Apostle Paul talks, talks, he continues to talk about the who, specifically that God has proven his faithfulness in the life of Israel and in the Jewish people for all of us to see. We saw Trevor or Trevor speak about this last week. For all of us to see, he's given us that history which proves his faithfulness. And then, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where we began this morning... Read it along with me, the first few verses. He says, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
Again, that word beseech. Think of beg. I beg you, I beg you, please. Here's the ERV version. That's the easy to read version. It's true, that's what it is. And that's what, that's what I need sometimes. I beg you, brothers and sisters, because of the great mercy God has shown us, in other words, because of everything that you have seen in chapters 1 through 12, chapters 1 through 12 is described as the great mercy of God. Because of the great mercy God has shown us. And then at that point, Paul spends five chapters on the do. Everyone with me? Because of these great mercies, because because they're now in full view, it says in view of God's mercy and actually um, in in the NIV translation, it says, in view of God's mercy. The Phillips translation says, with your eyes wide open to this great mercy I've just talked to you about in chapters 1 through 11. And then he goes on and for the rest of the book describes the do. He says, go do now. So before we go on and and talk about the do, (laughs) I don't know how I could possibly talk too much about this point, overemphasize it. Somehow, brothers and sisters, we got to get deprogrammed of something. We got to get We've been, we, or we've been programmed all our lives that we need to do something or a lot of thing to stir God up into action. That if we're good enough, that if, if we pray enough, that if we go to church enough, if, if we light enough candles, it's going to stir God into action. Uh, uh, you know, as if he's a sleeping dog or something. I, I don't know what, I don't want to, I don't want to be disrespectful to religion, but that's what religion's about. It's about stirring up a sleeping dog. You got to do enough. You got to do enough stuff, enough religious stuff to stir God into action. In other words, we initiate, God responds. We initiate, God responds. We do enough, God notices and does something back. We do enough, God notices and does something back. Brothers and sisters, we got to get deprogrammed of that. And that's why we just around here all the time are saying, uh, it, 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 it's like a broken record or a broken CD or broken file, whatever you call it these days. But in the word of God, and more on this in our next lesson on Verse two, being, being renewing your mind through the word of God, being deprogrammed of, 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 of this idea that we stir God up 
by doing something. No, from cover to cover, this book is about the opposite. It's about the opposite. God is the one who initiates. We respond. God does, and then he does, and then he does, and he does, and he does, and he does, and then finally we notice, like a sleeping dog, and, 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 and we respond. God does and we respond. The Bible says that when we were far, 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 far away from God, God was the farthest thing from our mind. At least obeying him was the farthest thing from our mind. It says that Jesus Christ died for us. It says when the entire world, Genesis chapter 12, was come, had, had went so far from the Lord, God initiated the plan of redemption with, which started with Abraham and it, it, it uh, ended with Jesus Christ. When, when people were, they weren't even thinking about God. They weren't trying to stir him up into action. They weren't trying to seek him. The, the Bible says, actually also in Romans chapter three, none were seeking him, no one. God started the whole thing. So brothers and sisters get rooted, deeply, deeply, deeply rooted, deep, deep, deep in these first 11 chapters, as well as the whole Bible, into the who. We wrote, uh, Josh Davis here and I wrote a, 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 a flyer. It's not a flyer. It's a, it's a trifold. What do, you, what do you call it? A, a brochure. A pamphlet. For new believers, and really the whole thing is about the know, knowing God, knowing God, knowing, do, this, do this, read your Bible, pray, fellowship. It's, it's all about knowing God. Not focusing on the do and the do not do. As soon as a, 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 someone comes into Christ, someone gets to know the Lord, someone becomes born again, just dumping a bunch of religious rules on them. No, it's get to know your God. That's why you were created So God is the initiator, we respond. And that's really what this is all about. It's all about, the first 11 chapter is, is get to know the who, and then you'll be empowered to do. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about, let's, let's read the rest of the verse. Verse one, chapter, 11, uh, chapter 12, verse one, it says, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, in view of the great mercy of God that I've described to you in chapters 1 through 11, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So let's talk about what Paul means here when he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. As I, uh, as I was praying to the Lord in the beginning prayer, that's not language that we grow up with. It's not language that we grow up with. Present your body as a living sacrifice. When Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, the readers 2,000 years ago in Rome, they would have known what he was talking about. They would have known. What was he talking about? Shout out. What was he, to, what was he referring to? What? 
He's, he, he, he's referring to worship, but what's... That's right. He's, he's, he's referring to burnt offerings offered at the altar, at the tabernacle, or, uh, or the temple. He's referring to... Um, uh, He's referring to, he's making an allusion, not an illusion, an allusion, meaning he's trying to bring to mind to them Leviticus chapter 1, the Jewish law of burnt offerings. There were several kinds of offerings listed in the Jewish law which would have been offered at the temple. There were burnt offerings there, but there were also sin offerings, there were trespass offerings, there were peace offerings, there were grain offerings. In our chapter by chapter study through the Old Testament, we went through of all of those. But what made a burnt offering different than every other offering was that the whole animal, and if you were rich, it was a, it was a bull, if you were poor, it was a pigeon, God's not a respecter of persons, the Bible says. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You take to him what, what he's given you. You would offer the whole animal, the whole beast or the whole animal. The, 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 the whole animal was consumed by fire. The whole thing on the altar. And it, it was an offering that represented the the total consecration of the person bringing the offering, meaning it was 100% surrender to God. So when, so when Paul is saying, in view of all this mercy that we've read about in the last 11 chapters, offer your bodies, your lives as a living sacrifice. He's talking about a day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, lifestyle of 100% surrender. which sometimes Calvary Chapel in the city feels like you're throwing yourself onto a fire. I mean, it hurts. A sin offering or a grain offering or a peace offering or trespass offering actually took part of it and it was given to the priests or it's given to the person who offered it. For example, the pa- at the Passover, the Lent. It, it was, it was, it, they were feasts. A lot, of these, um, a, a lot of these offerings were associated with feasts, and it was a time of, of great celebration and rejoicing as you ate part of what was offered to God. Not burnt offerings. It was the whole self, the whole being, 100% surrender. What does that look like in real life? What does that look like? So you, for example, you, and I'm not, I'm not thinking about anyone and don't think I'm talking about you, but you have a, a person, which maybe you, has a long history of sexual immorality outside of marriage. The Bible says... Sex is a beautiful thing given to us by God, but it can only be beautiful and fruitful inside a marriage. And you have a long history of sexual immorality outside of marriage. It's just has been in your life such an easy, exhilarating, short-term fix to loneliness, to boredom, to frustration, to lust. 
but things have changed in your life. God has opened up your heart and he's poured in his mercy. He saved you from wrath and judgment into an everlasting relationship with him. And so the temptation comes and you cry out, no longer I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice to my God and I'm going to start doing this his way, not my way. And I am telling you from personal experience that that is like having your body burned on a fire. But the verse goes on to say that's like a living sacrifice. As my sister said over here, it's worship to God in which it says that he's pleased. More on that in a bit. Now, by the way, that was a do not do as opposed to a do. Most of Romans 12 through 16, by far, actually, is about, it's not about do not do, it's about do's. For example, Romans, uh, so let's give me, let's, what's another example of offering your uh, body as a living sacrifice? Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That word persecute uh, in the Greek, original Greek, it means to harass, to trouble, to run after, to mistreat. Bless those, Romans 12, 14, who harass you. Bless them and do not curse. Now, do you know how hard it is for me Sometimes when there is someone harassing me, they're troubling me, they're wronging me. Do you know how hard it is for me not to just go home to my wife and just curse that person from head to toe? Can you believe what this person did? And I start the top of their hair and I go all the way down. And just to to do exactly the opposite of what this verse says, do you know how hard it is to say, no, I'm not going to do that and just get on my knees before the Lord and say, God, please help me to love this person. I don't love them. There's anger and hatred in my heart. I tell you, it's like jumping on the fire of an altar. But guess what? Verse goes on to say, that living, you're being a living sacrifice and it's holy and pleasing to the Lord. God is pleased. God is blessed. That is so incredibly motivating to me. Now, let's talk about the rest of the verse here. It says, holy and acceptable to God. Now that word, acceptable to God, that's the New King James Version. If you have the NIV, which I think many of you do, it says pleasing. Many, if not most, of the translations of this verse say pleasing, and I am convinced that's the word that should be used, and here's why. Let's take a look at the verse. Here's the New International Version. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let's, let, let, let's talk about why 
I believe it's pleasing and not acceptable. There's really two reasons. One reason is, is, is the root word in the Greek for that word pleasing is the word oresco, and it carries with it, you can do the Google search yourself, it carries with it, with it the idea of exciting the emotions of someone. Now, that doesn't sound like acceptable to me. I, 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 acceptable, uh, yeah, that's, a, that's acceptable. No, 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 no. It, it's exciting the emotion of God, of, 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 of God, Almighty God. Now, can you imagine the, the most awesome thing or what that you, by offering your body as a living sacrifice, can excite the Lord? Remember, God is a person, we are not Hindus here. We're not Buddhists. We're not, we don't believe in um, Eastern religion where sort of God is in everything and there's not a personality. No, he is a person and you have been made in the image of this person. And, and when he sees you offering your body as a life as a living sacrifice, he stirred up his emotions are stirred up. Is that the most incredible thing or what? Now the second reason and I think the one to me that is utterly persuasive, I believe it's the word pleasing here, not acceptable like we have in the King James or New King James, is remember what this phrase, offer your body as a living sacrifice, is an allusion to. A, a allusion to. Now, come on, get it this time. What's it, what, what's it an allusion to? What? Burn offerings, burn offerings in Leviticus chapter one, and let us here quote it, burn offerings, it says, it is a burnt sacrificing, speaking of the bull or the pigeon or the lamb, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, then what does it say? A sweet aroma to the Lord, a sweet aroma aroma to the Lord. Why? Because like we mentioned about burnt offerings, it's an offering of complete consecration, of 100% surrender. It is a way of saying, God, you have been so wonderful to me. I love you so much. I surrender to you 100% the situation, and I'm going to jump on the fire on the altar as a result. A sweet savor to God. It was pleasing to him. Now, another important thing so important about burnt offerings in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament. Unlike offerings such as sin offerings and trespass offerings, burnt offerings were free will offerings. Now, what do I mean by that? That means you only presented a burnt offering if you wanted to. Not so with sin offerings not so with trespass offerings. The sin offering, you were required to. You were required to bring it. And after you brought it, Leviticus 1, it doesn't say anything about an individual after uh, the sin offering that God, it was a sweet savor to God. It's not a sweet savor to God. Remember, the sin offerings were just a picture of what, G, what would happen on the, um, 
on the cross, as well as burnt offerings and all of the, the, the offerings as well. They were a, a foreshadowing of Jesus. But, but with a burnt offering, it, it was a sweet savor to God, as it says in Leviticus 1.17, because unlike some of the other offerings, you only brought it when you wanted to. You were not required to. And it says that was a sweet savor to the Lord. It was pleasing to God. So an illustration for you. What was Friday? What was Friday? What was the night before Friday? It's St. Valentine's Eve. So you've been working all night really hard. You've been working all night. And you are exhausted and you get home after midnight. And you are so tired. Your body's crumbling. You could just crumble on the floor and go to bed. But you stumble into the kitchen and you see the kitchen sink filled with dishes. And these dishes are the worst possible kind of dishes to clean. Do, do any, are any of you familiar with lasagna dishes? Oh, whoa. It looks like we, we are here. Lasagna dishes. You, if you don't clean a lasagna dish, within 15 minutes, that lasagna becomes part of the dish. And you have to get a chisel. you got to get a chisel. And, and there are these dishes. you got, you got spoons there with a, a, a peanut butter on them. you got pans with bacon oil at the bottom. I mean, this is the worst nightmare of a kitchen sink. And what do you do? You throw yourself on that altar of burn offerings because you know your honey is up sleeping soundly and she or he is going to be coming down in the morning to that mess. And so you clean it all up. You take out the chisel and you get all the lasagna off, that that bacon grease, uh, you, you, you just... You can't, water does nothing for bacon grease. I mean, you, you gotta scrape that too and like wipe it on a paper towel and throw it away. I mean, but you, you just get the kitchen incredibly clean and then you go to bed and uh, the next morning your, your wife meets you or your husband and they say, oh, honey, you shouldn't have done that. Now, what do you think would happen if, if, if you respond like this? Now, some of you have seen this before, okay? So I apologize to you. But what, what, what would happen if, if you respond like this? Honey, you shouldn't have. No, yes, I should have. It's my duty. <laughs> uh, on the contrary, what, what if... Um, your, your, your wife or your husband say, honey, you shouldn't have. And you say, well, listen, I did it because I wanted to do it. I did it because I love you. I did it because you're the greatest husband, the greatest wife in the world, and I wanted to, to do it. What do you think that's going to do? I will tell you what that's going to do. That will excite their emotions. That is what's going to happen, and they will just melt, and they will be so pleased and excited. 
offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Again, that word holy, that word holy. Now, some of you were there Tuesday night. What's the easiest way to figure out what holy is? Shout it out. Just look at Jesus. You can read a 10-volume theological volumes, and, and I do recommend those. Go for it. But uh, you can do that, or you just look at the life of Jesus. You just, it's good to do both. But the easier way is just look at the life of Jesus, and, and, and that is holiness. So Jesus, his, his, not only his moral perfection, but what else? The fact that he was filled with joy twice. Romans, uh, rather in John 15 and John 17, two times he says, look, I've shared all these things with you so that you can have my joy, which tells us what? Part of holiness is joy. Now, of course, this takes uh, uh, the intervention of the Holy Spirit and us crying out to God for help. God, help me to be joyful when I'm cleaning this bacon grease off of this pan. It, 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 it takes that, but just offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This verse is so central to the rest of to the rest of the book of Romans. I'm I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have us close with this. Let's go to Mark chapter um, fourteen. Oh, best picture in the Bible, and one by the way that I bring before me this verse. I read this verse multiple times a week when I'm faced with something that my flesh is crying out and saying, no. It's, just, it's, a, it's a great picture, a different one though, of presenting your body as a living sacrifice. This is Jesus right before his crucifixion. He's not in Jerusalem yet. Verse three of Mark Chapter 14. It says, Being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard, uh, the leopard, oh, forgive me. This is a man, Simon the, the leper, who, by the way, because everyone's there, he had apparently been healed of leprosy by Jesus. Let's start again. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and uh, given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. So 300 denarii, one denarii is a, a, a wage of a working person for one day. 
So what is that in Boston? A wage for a working person for one day, 300 days? Boston's an expensive place, like 40,000 bucks or something? I mean, this was an alabaster alabaster flask of really, really expensive stuff. And it says that she broke it. She broke it, in verse 3, and she poured it on his head. And they criticized her sharply, but then Jesus, his response to that, and by the way, it's some, another gospel I think says it was uh, Judas, but another one says all the disciples criticized her sharply, criticized her. What was Jesus' response to their criticism? Verse six says, Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This is an example of a living sacrifice. There are certain things, I assure you, if they haven't happened already, they will happen. Where you're going to do something, and it's probably going to be multiple things, but you're going to do something that everyone looking at it will say, what a waste. What an incredible waste. Last year, one of the brothers in the church came to me and he had a career opportunity that was being offered to him. And this career opportunity would have been so radically financially life-changing with no question if he had accepted it, he would have been set financially for the rest of his life. The problem was is that to accept this career opportunity, he would have had to break a current commitment to his employer. Now, I can assure you, because I've been in the middle of these decisions so many times, (laughs) I can assure you what most people, not only in the world, but tragically in the body of Christ, would be telling him. Oh, come on, you have to do it. You got to do this. You got for your family. You, you just consider the tithe, you know, what you can give and, and, and this type of thing. And he didn't take it. And I can tell you, well, it was a living sacrifice, and it was like verse 3 where it says, This woman broke this alabaster flask. Meaning what? The oil poured out. She wasn't getting the oil back. She wasn't getting that $50,000 back. Just like this brother. He, He turned down the opportunity. It's possible he may get it again. But it was gone. Gone. 
pouring out his life as a living sacrifice, the world would say, you are crazy, you're stupid, you're foolish. Not so the Lord. The, 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 the Lord is, is, is stirred up. It's a sweet savor to God. And, and let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's been said before, opportunities to, to really worship God at that level. level. They're, they're like a horse that, that has come galloping towards you, and, and either you get to get on that horse and take that opportunity, or that thing's going to go by, and you're just going to hear the trot in the way distance, and at some point in the future, you're going to be thinking, wow, I had the opportunity to be like this woman in Mark chapter 14, of whom it is said, that wherever the gospel is preached, I am, that story is going to be told, uh, told as well, I, that you had that opportunity and you missed it. How is God glorified? How do we be, bring attention to our God? It's by... Romans 12.1, offering our lives as living sacrifices. And you know what the toughest part of this verse is? It's the end of the verse. It says, this is your reasonable service. You see that? Everyone see that? End of verse one. This is your reasonable That word reason, it's the Greek word that just means logic. This is your logical, logical service, meaning not only is it logical in light of what God has done for you, but also this is normal. Watchman Nee wrote a book, The Normal Christian Life. This is normal. If you are coming to church because it's like some social thing, and, and you, can th- you, you think, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm given like the last 10% of my life to God. No, no, normal is offering your body as a living sacrifice. And oh, the riches. Oh, the riches of God. Uh, Dennis, can I have that Romans 8 promise again? Uh, it, it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's the promise to a surrendered life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. I'm going to worship. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come up at this time. You know, Romans 1 and 2 began how? It, 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 just showing us that no matter, God is so holy and he's so just that no matter where you run, if you're running without Jesus Christ living inside of you, having asked him to be your, the king of your life, if you're running without him, there's nowhere that you can run where you will not face the indignation and wrath of a holy God. But there's no reason to run because Jesus has took on that indignation and wrath for you so that he can 
after being invited in because the Bible does say in John chapter 1 verse 12 it says to those who receive Jesus he's a perfect gentleman he he won't force himself into your heart into your life but if you receive him John 1 12 the Bible says that you are given the right to be a child of God you are adopted as a son adopted as a daughter and from that point on your relationship is sealed and secure for all eternity but it does take inviting him in as king why don't you rise let's all rise let's sing if anything that I have said today if anything has been stirred up in your heart that you just want to pray about Maybe you have a kitchen sink filled with lasagna dishes. Maybe you have a person in your life who is troubling and harassing you and you want to curse. Maybe you have a decision in which you know what to do, but if you do it, everyone's going to think you're a raging fool but you want but you need strength to bless the Lord with it come up and let's pray about it man when I face those decisions I gotta run to brothers and sisters for prayer otherwise let's worship let's close out the uh, the service with a worship song father we thank you for this time we thank you for your word we thank you for bringing it to life we thank you Lord And Lord, you being the initiator, stir us up to worship now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.